welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, that we may always revere and love your holy name. For you never deprive of your guidance those you set firm on the foundation of your love. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Job. From the heart of the tempest, the Lord gave Job his answer. He said, Who pent up the sea behind closed doors, when it leapt tumultuous out of the wound? When I wrapped it in a robe of mist, and made black clouds its swaddling bands. When I marked the bounds it was not to cross, and made it fast with a bolted gate. Come thus far, I said, and no further. Here your proud waves shall break. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Give thanks to the Lord, his love is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord, his love is everlasting. Some sailed to the sea in ships, to trade on the mighty waters. These men have seen the Lord's deeds, the wonders he does in the deep. Give thanks to the Lord, his love is everlasting. For he spoke, he summoned the gale, tossing the waves of the sea, up to heaven and back into the deep. Their soul melted away in their distress. Give thanks to the Lord, his love is everlasting. Then they cried to the Lord in their need, and he rescued them from their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper, or the waves of the sea were hushed. Give thanks to the Lord, his love is everlasting. They rejoiced because of the calm, and he led them to the haven they desired. Let them thank the Lord for his love, the wonders he does for men. Give thanks to the Lord, his love is everlasting. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. The love of Christ overwhelms us when we reflect that if one man has died for all, then all men should be dead. And the reason he died for all was so that living men should live no longer for themselves but for him who died and was raised to life for them. From now onwards, therefore, we do not judge anyone by the standards of the flesh. Even if we did once know Christ in the flesh, that is not how we know him now. And for anyone who is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old creation has gone, and now the new one is here. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. A great prophet has appeared among us. God has visited his people. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. With the coming of evening, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him, just as he was, in the boat. And there were other boats with him. 
Then it began to blow a gale, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that it was almost swamped. But he was in the stern, his head on the cushion, asleep. They woke him and said to him, Master, do you not care? We're going down. And he woke up and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Quiet now, be calm. And the wind dropped, and all was calm again. Then he said to them, Why are you so frightened? How is it that you have no faith? They were filled with awe, and said to one another, Who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obey him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So the Gospel today finishes with the Apostles asking themselves this question, Who can this be? Well, there's a lot going on in the gospel, even though it's so short. Um, But that final question really is the heart of what's being presented here. Who can this be? There's an answer that's being given. There's an answer that's being given kind of in story form. And I suppose if you think about it, it's a pretty powerful way of learning. Um, A means of discovery. You find it for yourself. The disciples they end up in this incredibly difficult situation. I mean, you know, you put yourself in their place and, and you know, they're afraid for their lives. It's, it's, truly, it's truly desperate. We hear about this boat nearly being swamped. And then Jesus coming to their rescue. The one who's able to command the wind and the sea. They're finding out for themselves who Jesus is. They're not just reading a fact in a book. You know, they're not just flipping through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and reading the section on Christology. No, there's something really powerful going on. And and you can see how deeply this question is provoked within them. Who can this be? Well, I suppose it's important then to ask what a first century Jew would have understood by these actions. What's the cultural context and and what's the biblical context in which they would have interpreted this great sign of Jesus calming the wind and the sea? Well, in the Jewish imagination, the world at the time of creation was a stormy ocean. It was darkness and it was chaos. Listen to this. This is the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Now, the earth was a formless void. There was darkness over the deep, with a divine wind sweeping over the waters. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that light was good, and God divided light from darkness. God called the light day. And darkness he called night. Evening came, and morning came, the first day. God said, Let there be a vault through the middle of the waters to divide the waters in two. And so it was. And then the days of creation continue, right? We get the idea. All the way through to the culmination of creation, which is humanity on the sixth day. And then God rests on the seventh, the first Sabbath. 
All right. But what do we find there? The act of God's creating is something that comes about by means of his word. He speaks and the world is shaped. His first word is for light and there's light. And so the Jewish cosmology, right, the understanding of creation, it's, it's pretty different to our scientific knowledge of the world. They pictured um, the waters being separated in two, like God building a big dome in the sky to hold back the waters which are above. And that opens up space, right, for sky, for air. And then the waters are divided again and now land appears, And at each stage, the waters, they're held back and controlled. The original stormy waters are tamed by God's word, and he brings forth order from chaos. As these days progress, we see that what was stormy, what was uncontrolled, has the spirit hovering over it, and God's word commanding and bringing order from this chaos. Now, that image of the stormy sea, it's really powerful. The sea remains something supremely uncontrollable. We get images of tsunamis and storm surges, and they just remind us of the ocean's destructive force and you know, its great capacity to undo order. When the sea doesn't stay where it belongs, it makes a big mess. I don't know, maybe with the prevalence of, you know, cargo transport and cruise ships, we we think we've kind of tamed the ocean. And yet, when it decides to show us who's boss, oof, I think we find pretty quickly that... uh, We're not quite as powerful as we thought. The sea remains this incredible picture of the chaotic, of the uncontrollable, and of the dangerous. Now, certainly in ancient times, travelling on the sea was far more treacherous than it is now. And to set out on the sea was always a risk. Now, at least four of the disciples were fishermen, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John. So they would have at least been familiar with the Sea of Galilee, with its currents and its waves. But even they feel mortally vulnerable in the midst of this gale. The waters of chaos threaten to inundate the boat. This really must have been a powerful experience for the disciples, even the fishermen. But we can see what happens. Just as the power of God's word at creation imposed order over the waters of chaos, so too now does Christ's word impose order over the waters of the Sea of Galilee. The Lord rebukes the wind, quiet now, be calm. Interestingly, He doesn't invoke God's name. He goes, hey, Father, wouldn't it be nice if it was calm right now? He doesn't pray to God that he would still the storm. He does it by the power of his own word. Because he is God. 
At the beginning of creation, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The power of God's word establishes order in creation. The power of God's word causes creation to obey. This action becomes a really powerful revelation of who Christ is. And this is what we heard reflected in the um, first reading, right, from the book of Job. The Lord gives an answer to Job's questioning and says, Hey, oi, mate, who pent up the sea behind closed doors when it leapt tumultuous out of the womb? When I wrapped it in a robe of mist and made black clouds its swaddling bands? When I marked the bounds the sea would not cross and made it fast with a bolted gate? In other words, hey, Job, who controls the sea? I do. And now here is Jesus controlling the sea. In a very simple way, Mark tells us the effect of Jesus' word. Quiet now, be calm. And the wind dropped and all was calm again. Of course that's what happened. That's what you'd expect when God speaks into creation. But we see the flip side now. Jesus does this. Creation obeys, and therefore Jesus is God's holy presence among them. We start to see something of how powerful this revelation must have been to the disciples. They ask themselves, right, who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obey him. It's a true revelation. It's starting to dawn on them, and... It's starting to dawn on us just who Jesus is. He's God's holy presence among us. God's not the one indifferent, a long, long way away, over in heaven somewhere, transcendent and unconcerned about what we're up to. No, it turns out he's in the storm. He's in the storm with us. He's in the boat. And he's ready to calm the waves. This is a pretty deep theology lesson. But it's not one that's taught in a classroom. And it's not one that we get from a book. It's deeply experiential. You've got to feel the storm. You've got to feel the power of the wind and the waves. And when we find just how vulnerable we are in this dinky little boat, when we find just how precarious our life really is, then when we encounter Jesus, who is greater than that which threatens us, it changes the way that we approach our lives. When we start to understand just who this is that is in the boat with us, then storms aren't so bad. Waves aren't so bad. As long as he's there. Now, we have this rather curious fact of Jesus being in the back of the boat, head on a cushion, soundly asleep. And the disciples are scared. I mean, they're properly scared. To the point where they finally arouse him from his sleep and say, Look, don't you care? How can you sleep at a time like this? We're going down. But Jesus seems perplexed by their panic. What are we so worried about? 
What did you think was going to happen? Why did you have so little trust? Well, this storm is a dawn of a new faith for these apostles. Who can this be? He acts like God. He does the things that God does. Who can this be? This is the one we can trust in a storm. As long as he's in the boat with us, we don't need to be afraid. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.